it was the first place that I came to that I actually spoke my ancestors' names out loud, mm-hmm. right, in the memorial grounds. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I don't want to cry on this podcast, <laughs> but like this, this place, there is an energy here that when you arrive, if you quiet yourself, it comes, yep. it reaches for you. Welcome to Tilling the Soil, a podcast dedicated to discussing the unique successes and challenges of preserving the history of enslaved people in the United States. This is a project of Whitney Plantation, located in Wallace, Louisiana, a former plantation site dedicated to telling the story of slavery from the perspective of enslaved people. Tilling the Soil was funded by a 2021 rebirth grant from the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Your hosts are Amber Mitchell and Dr. Joy Banner. Episode 10, Leadership Matters Part 2. In this follow-up episode, we're again joined by Whitney Plantation's Executive Director, Ashley Rogers, and Director of Operations and Visitor Experience, Yvonne Holden, on why and how we do what we do at Whitney Plantation and the challenges therein. I love the thought of helping prepare people to enter this mm-hmm. space. And we've kind of, we've talked about mm-hmm. this kind of ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we, it's a wonderful conversation to is. have. And like, especially, you know, when we're having to prep people before they get here mm-hmm. of like, I mean, we just put a brand new sign out on our front door before people even step foot onto the, the site for folks to understand that this is a site of remembrance. Mm-hmm. Although New Orleans, and as everybody knows, New Orleans is the party town. If mm-hmm. you're gonna go, to, if you wanna go have a party, there's no other place to go. If you wanna go on a binge weekend, you can go to New Orleans mm-hmm. and do it. Mm-hmm. But we get a lot of runoff mm-hmm. of people who you know are wanting to come out and explore, and rightfully so, the river parishes and plantation country, but don't realize that when they step onto Whitney Plantation in particular, that the partying is over. Mm-hmm. That the partying is, this isn't the place mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And that this is a site of memory and mm-hmm. a site of respect. And mm-hmm. if you don't, and not necessarily, res- you don't have to necessarily respect yourself. That has nothing to do with us. <laughs> so if you want to respect yourself and have a million hand grenades, that's your business, girl. Have a good time. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I'm not here to judge, have a good time. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. when we're here protecting the ancestral histories and the ancestral energy, that's here at the site, that's very much palpable. It's a different kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And laying the foundation and letting folks know from the jump, like, listen, when you step foot on Whitney, you got to step foot correct and be ready, ready to take this in. Mm-hmm. And not everybody is ready. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people get in the process of getting, of becoming ready mm-hmm. once they're here. Mm-hmm. But it's just laying the foundation of saying, we are glad you're in Louisiana. We're glad you're here to have a good time. We're glad that you're coming out to Whitney Plantation, but step here correct. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. you wouldn't want anyone being disrespectful at your family's ancestral places. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want anyone to come and disrespect your family's grave site mm-hmm. or anything else in that sort of vein. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, this is a pilgrimage site for a lot of people like mm-hmm. myself who don't know where their where their families mm-hmm. lived in various other places in the United yeah. States, but they know that they can come to Whitney mm-hmm. and get some of that history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a place you can connect with. Exactly. Yeah. My first visit here, when I think about and talk about it, it was the first place that I came to that I actually spoke my ancestors' names out loud mm-hmm. right in the memorial grounds. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I don't want to cry on this podcast, but like, <laughs> This, this place, there is an energy here that when you arrive, if you quiet yourself, it comes, yep. it reaches for you. It reaches for you in a way that ultimately too, it's like, it's this thing that like also to hold you while you're mm-hmm. here, you know, and it allows you to connect with your ancestral history either it be directly on the soil 
or near it or in the region or someplace in the U.S. South, you know, and it is a place that I think, I don't want to say it's a challenge, but it's a reality, which is we are in deep Southern Louisiana near the city of New Orleans, where the city itself is built around entertainment and tourism and people letting loose and having a good time, but then people also wanting to have these other cultural experiences in the area and come to us. And there is sometimes this bleed over and, you know, we can't manage other people's behavior, but what we can do is hope that through signage, through, through the energy of our staff, through how we work and rework the layout of the visitor center, how we add more supporting messaging and signage on the grounds that ultimately, even if people aren't 100% prepared when they arrive here, hopefully through them coming, checking in, getting themselves oriented, spending time in the exhibits before they go on the Mm -hmm. tour that definitely are wonderful exhibits that have excellent history that gets you, that pulls you here before you step out onto the grounds to take a tour. Hopefully by the time people just are in the space for 20 minutes, by the time they step on the grounds, I hope that they are now here. Mm. There's some people who are, I mean, they're, this is a pilgrimage. Right. So they've done, they've done, they've done their homework. They've taken their spiritual breaths. Like they're saying their prayers. They are entering the space with reverence. You know, they are, they are already, and they are exiting and taking care of themselves when they leave as well, you know, but like sometimes like not all of us do that, you know, but I hope that by the time people get here, check in and then, by the time they are ready to actually come on the grounds, like my goal is to create this sort of landing space for people Mm -hmm. to do that transition. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, it's just like, you want to have hand grenades in the French quarter and run up and down bourbon street, no shade, do that. But that doesn't prepare you for coming here. So what happens if you transition from that to here? Right. And then like, what are we providing for you to help you transition from the front door to the grounds, you know? And so right now I think about a lot of that, like, where are we providing an opportunity for people to prepare when they're on site? Because we can't, we can't really control what people do off of it. We can offer, you know, if somebody asks us directly, calls us or send us an email, like, Hey, what can we do to prepare? I mean, honestly, this may sound funny. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm like, drink a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Right. Make yeah. sure you're well fed. Right. Yeah. You know, like take care of your body. Because what happens when you come here is that your body's going to be giving you different messages and make sure your basic needs are met. Get a full night's sleep. You know, if you're in the French Quarter the night before you come out here, go to bed by midnight, please. <laughs> you know, wake up, get hydrated, have a balanced meal. You know, make sure that you're dressed for the weather because it is an outdoor site. Prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. Make sure your basic needs are met. And so by the time you get here, you're here and you're present. You can have this experience. And then when you leave here, you, that drive back to the city is an hour. It's a wonderful time to decompress. It's a wonderful time to stay in silence and then nourish your body again mm-hmm. with whatever, if you came out with a community of people, and I mean, say community, it could be one partner, it could be a whole family, or even just yourself, go to a place where there are people that you feel comfortable around, even if they're strangers, take care of your basic needs again, eat. If you like wine, like I do have a glass of wine and just let this, you know, the experience sort of sink in. Yeah. But don't, again, don't move too fast. This is not a place to nurse a hangover for sure. No, 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 it is not. (laughs) Nobody here knows what that's like. (laughs) It's not, I'll tell you, it's not. (laughs) Well, and Tied into the interpretation, and then we have these discussions all the time, me, you, and Amber, our social media policy, our photography mm-hmm. policy, mm-hmm. Our, our filming policies also dovetail, of course, with the interpretation on the site, with the reverence that we want to have on the site. Mm-hmm. And I will be completely transparent that it is difficult navigating and negotiating what, how we should approach you know, allowing people or if we should mm-hmm. even allow filming or photography on site. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of touch on those 
mm-hmm. those different elements that may be a part of it. Joy, you and I have talked a lot about, you know, these policies and sort of gone back and forth about these things. And I think part of it is that we very much want to encourage people to connect with this history and the site and in ways that are meaningful for them. And no way can we determine in every case what, like how that looks. You know, social media, it's like, I'm not going to go down that road with (laughs) with social media. But I think that on the whole, a part of that is, you know, it very much encourages people to be more concerned about the content they're posting Mm -hmm. than really allow themselves to be in a place, in a space. And recently I traveled to Montgomery to visit the Legacy Museum again. And by the way, if listeners, you have not been and you're traveling to the region, after you come see us, go see them. Um, The EJI. The EJI, thank you. The EJI in Montgomery. Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, um, they're doing amazing work and they just opened up a new museum space that's much larger and just, it's beautiful. And what they've done there is just really amazing. But one of the things I've noticed, you know, being in this world and being in this work is I very much pay attention to how other people who are telling these very, very, very emotional histories and these histories that deserve our reverence and deserve our attention and deserve, you know, the respect and, and we should act accordingly. Our conduct should ultimately reflect our respect for these spaces and for this history. You know, I pay attention to how, like what they allow from the visitors in these spaces And the actual museum portion of uh, EJI, the Legacy Museum itself, does not allow photographs or video, period. Mm. And I really, really think that that is appropriate request, you know, especially dealing with the subject matter, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have opportunities to photograph and document literally everything. But if we are saying that this history is meaningful, if we're saying that this is a site of remembrance, if we are encouraging people to be present, nothing takes people out of that present moment, like someone taking selfies or someone recording TikToks. And also as well, is that person then, you know, really getting the experience or they're, are they layering a narrative that ultimately doesn't have anything to do with this space, but then using us as a backdrop Mm -hmm. to sort of speak about, you know, other topics, maybe relating to the history of slavery, maybe not. And so on the whole, I think that it is a good policy for us to at least at the very least limit Mm-hmm. how people record their experiences here. And I think that it's a good idea for us not to allow video recording. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a good idea for us not to allow selfie sticks. It's definitely a good idea for us to say that there are things that are inappropriate in these spaces. And it's not something that is personal to you. We are right. not telling you, you are an inappropriate person. We are not trying to be disrespectful to you, especially on this site where we're trying to be so respectful to everybody. And I think that maybe that's sometimes our back and forth right. is that we question whether or not it'll be interpreted as disrespect when we are be when we are basically saying it's disrespectful, we are looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it is up to us to determine these things. And it is up to us to also keep in mind that we have been charged with doing what is best for this museum itself, but then to understand that this isn't just a museum, this is a place that is the ancestral home of countless and thousands of people Mm -hmm. in this region. And so I think that we can say that these are not just names of random people. There are people who are here today that these are their ancestors' names. And I think that we owe it to the descendant community to say that this is a space that should be respected. And this is a place that ultimately we don't think that you taking photographs here in this manner or you videoing in this manner is respectful to them. Right. You know, I personally wouldn't want somebody going through my family's ancestral grounds, filming a TikTok there. And I think that we have every right to 
set that boundary with people. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, especially when we have African-American yes. visitors on site and you want to, you know, and right now we're in graduation season, yeah. you know, and how, and how so beautiful is it yes. to have, you know, a black American graduates who want to honor their ancestors yes. by taking a photo, you know, in the graduation gown. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's been instances the 15 white coats to be mm-hmm. specific where we've had those photos mm-hmm. taken because it's mm-hmm. referencing it's, it's paying homage to the ancestors and it's such a tight rope to walk but you know I think that I am I'm moving I'm I still haven't figured it out yeah. I still have not figured it out to be completely transparent mm-hmm. but I'm just really moving more and more into that space of like you know like when you travel to Europe when you travel to Greece you cannot take pictures of this. You you can't take pictures of the statues. You can't take yes. pictures of anything with you in it. Someone will come and stop you and you say, can't no, kneel in the Vatican unless you're you praying. Can't, you cannot right? take photos yeah. in a lot of these, you know, spaces that mean so much. Yeah. So. Just a few mm-hmm. years ago, remember there was the big controversy about people taking selfies at the Berlin Holocaust mm-hmm. Memorial, the memorial to the lost Jews of Europe in mm-hmm. Berlin. Mm-hmm. And folks were, you know, up in arms about that. And it's just like, but that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. That's that's a, an appropriate outrage at these sites that are memorializing this really difficult or challenging history that's a collective and we as a, as a plantation mm-hmm. site especially in the ways that we do our work it's important to to include ourselves yeah. in that. yes and i think I something agree. that's important to also mention as well is that these decisions that organizations like ours make organizations and other memorial sites make about conduct what we are also considering in these decisions is how visitors are interacting with each other, right? Right? Because it's just, it's not about, this is the whole thing. It's not about what Yvonne sees and what Mm -hmm. Yvonne thinks is appropriate. I am being informed by, yes, my own set of experiences and roles, um, large roles and director roles, management roles, and like seeing the large picture and how it plays out in our visitation, but, or within our visitors and their experiences. But what I'm also keeping in mind is how other visitors are interpreting behavior right? and what other visitors have said, the things that they find problematic Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, and then also not understanding what their conduct should be because they're seeing somebody else do something. And so if somebody else is doing something, then that makes it okay. So then they're going to do something. So sometimes people are like, well, it's just me taking this one photograph. It's like, but other people are watching you too. And what you're doing may be something that on the, on the side note, we agree with, but we're not the only people who are watching you. And so if you were showing up in your graduation gowns, this wonderful thing that, you know, and this accomplishment that should be celebrated, then who else do we let show up in their graduation gowns, mm-hmm. especially on a former plantation site where the idea of how people interact with these sites is already so problematic and fraught, you know? And so I think that on the whole, we aren't there yet as a society for us to basically say this isn't a problem because there's still so many problems that are playing out on sites like Mm -hmm. this today. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Mm I guess I'm going to switch gears a little bit here mm-hmm. and I guess get a little bit more personal. And Joy, I'm going to bring you in too Uh-oh. as part of the question. <laughs> but I guess maybe it's kind of a, just a general question for all of us. What is it like to be both an interpreter, a protector, and a descendant of both, whether that be this physical site as you mm-hmm. are, Joy, or just this history generally mm-hmm. for you? I'm immensely protective of Whitney, Mm -hmm. because just going back to the comment about, you know, the jokes being made, right? We, if you, as Black people that work at plantation or we're at a plantation, people are constantly questioning, why are you working at a plantation? So it's, so Mm -hmm. people may be joking about it, but this is a real experience for Mm -hmm. us, right? So people are, are constantly questioning why we work here. And part of my role is, you know, I want to, I want people to understand why I would work at a plantation. And so I'm extremely, you know, protective of, of Whitney's mission, protective of Whitney's reputation, 
But at the same time, you know, I want to hold Whitney responsible. And I think we do hold Whitney responsible. Um, so it is difficult at times to, you know, to remember that Whitney is one organization. And so we have a small staff. And, and I think a lot of times, you know, people expect us to be everything and be able to tackle everything. And we can't. But then there's always times where I'm like, but can't we? And mm-hmm. so to, to be mm-hmm. honest, you know, as someone that is a, a, a descendant of Whitney and being part of the larger Black descendant community that's fighting the things like grain elevators and, and, and you know, industrial encroachment and environmental racism and really wanting Whitney to be more of a presence, mm-hmm. you know, in that fight. Mm-hmm. And but what is what is the where where is Whitney's space? Mm-hmm. What is Whitney's place in this? There is a, a, a longer, richer conversation that has to be had with all of the staff, with all of the board members, with the community, first and foremost. What are ways that Whitney, as a former place of extraction, you know, what does the community want us to be? What do they need for us to be? Mm-hmm. We are still in the process of figuring that all out. There's something that you said really quickly just now that made me I sort of tie in what I said before is like African-Americans in our community, we expect a lot of our organizations. And I just want to put it out there that there is nothing that a visitor, another black person who comes here that like asks of us that we haven't already asked ourselves and more. Right. So on the whole, I think that, you know, working here as a descendant of enslaved people there's a lot in that, like, I feel an extraordinary privilege and honor to be in a space that represents so much pain, but be one of the people who decides what narrative gets to be told exactly. and by who, right? It's a wonderful thing to be able to come here and speak freely about our origins, about my origins to groups of people. And that be something that drives like everything that I do. But it is one of those things as well as working within this organization, thinking how much, what else can we do for our community? Mm -hmm. Like what other areas do we need to be present Mm -hmm. in? Are we moving too slow in this area? Mm -hmm. Like, cause we do, you know, we Mm -hmm. have, we have to question. It's like, yes, slowness is important. Intentionality is important, but sometimes expediency is what our community needs, Mm -hmm. right? You know, especially if we're speaking about something like the grain elevator, we don't have the luxury to take our time with certain, with things like that. Like that is happening right now and we need to jump into that. And so I think working here really makes you interrogate what it is and what it means to be in a place when you say you are here because you believe in representing your community and helping your community being here makes those questions a daily thing. Are you doing that? Are you making decisions that ultimately are not something that is good for your community? Do you get to say, you know, and so like I, you know, working here and being a descendant here, I'm always questioning. It's like, okay, you say that you're here doing this and you say that you're doing it for the community. Well, what's the outcome then? Mm -hmm. Did that outcome actually help anybody in your community or did it just help, you know, does it just help you? And so I think that, you know, working here, if you are doing this, you are consistently, you have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I know that we can't do everything. I know that we can't do everything, but at least the things that we do should be for the reasons why we're doing it. And for Mm -hmm. me, I came here and this place has been really, it's been transformative in my own life, you know, and the thing that I take every day when I leave here is, are you helping your community? Mm -hmm. And even if right now, the community that I am making an impact in is the community here in Wallace and Edgard that's still a part of my larger community, right? right? And if some of the things by me being in this role, I'm making an impact in the ideas about what my nieces and nephews can do, I'm making an impact there, right? You know, and so I think about even if we can't do everything right now, I at least need to know that what I am doing right now is something that is a contribution mm-hmm. and that I am not extracting because, you know, we can, we have 
total capabilities of being extractive as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm not always going to do the great job, but I want to make sure that I'm at least doing doing the good job. (laughs) (laughs) I think you said something really key there Mm -hmm. in the term impact, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And like, especially in museums and other nonprofits, we have this idea about, well, well, our intention is this Mm -hmm. and we want to do this and we do this in this way. But then they don't really go back to see, well, what did that really, how did that impact people, mm-hmm. right? And like that effect, the, the effect that it has on community can speak louder than what your actual intent was. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Intent does not outweigh impact. Yes. And so for me, starting out here, one of the first things that I wrote on my whiteboard was, who are we? Mm-hmm. Who is Whitney Plantation? Who is the education department within Whitney mm. Plantation? What do we do? Why do we do it? Who do we do it for? Who do we do it with? And how are we moving forward? How are we mm. impacting those that we're doing it with and for? And I haven't answered those questions. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as I think as both of you all, both of you have kind of mentioned and Ashley mentioned earlier, you know, we're still figuring out who we are as an organization, as a, a very young organization, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. And but it's an amazing thing to to be part of this amazing team of let me just say mostly black female leaders hey. <laughs> of deciding what is it that we're doing? Mm-hmm. Why is it that we're doing it? Who are we doing it with? And are we doing it enough? Mm-hmm. Are we doing enough in the way that the community wants us to be doing it? And ultimately, can we be all things to all people? And we can't, mm-hmm. right? And so trying to figure out, well, where is the Whitney's lane in all of this? Mm-hmm. How can we be the powerhouse that we know we can be with the limitations that we have, you know, very real limitations as far as budgets, as far as uh, people, as far as capacity, as far as time, those are all very real things. But what can we do within the lanes that we have within our organization to make sure that when people come here, they're learning not just about the people who made this place, what it was, what it is and what it will be, but also about the community impact. Yeah. To make sure that they know the names of Wallace and Edgar that they know the Descendants Project, that they know that there's a grain elevator that's knocking on our doorstep, that they know that environmental racism doesn't just stop at the edges of Baton Rouge and New Orleans, that wherever they are in the country, they are feeling the effects of a lot of what is just started here. We never really left the plantation. Mm -hmm. It just changed forms. Mm -hmm. And so how do we as Whitney Plantation in the ways that we present the information, the ways that we prepare people to come on the site, the ways that we allow them to interact with us on social media, the ways that they take pictures, the way that they exist here, how can we make sure that that stuff transfers with them when they go home? Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have an answer for that. I don't think any of us do, but it's exciting to be figuring Mm -hmm. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, because we think that when it comes down, just going back to what we were talking about with the expectations of labor and of business. One of the other expectations is that we ne- we're as an organization, you're never supposed to admit when you don't have mm-hmm. the answer, that you do have questions. And people expect that we have all of the answers sometimes or, mm-hmm. or that we don't get challenged mm-hmm. when it comes to slavery, when it comes mm-hmm. to interpretation, that at the end of the day, we are a plantation. And, mm-hmm. and some of the things that, some of the questions that are asked of other plantation sites still are asked of Whitney. Mm-hmm. And we still ask those questions of ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we need to embrace and, and understand as different is that we do, we're going to be honest about, we have these questions and we don't have the answers and, we, and we're working through it. Yeah. And I think that it's a very, just my personal experience in organizations throughout my professional life. The minute you think you have the answers, you close off. It's like this, this thing that is, you know, another podcast just rooted <laughs> deeply in, you know, white supremacy is the ideas or the idea that you need to know the answers to everything. And if you don't, that means that you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is on the whole, most people actually don't know what they're doing. Let's put that out. first and foremost, it doesn't mean people don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and value. It means that on the whole, 
that if we are honest about it, we are all on a journey of discovery. And the best that we can do is remain flexible and also to never think that, you know, on the whole, you have all the answers because the minute that you do, you close off collaboration and coalition building. Absolutely. You know, there are other people that you also close yourself off to learning. I have a lot to learn still. There's a lot of growth in my professional career that I know that is much needed. But if I sit here and say that I am the director of visitor experience and operations at Whitney Plantation, I'm in this role because I have all these answers and I inhibit that ability to grow. And also what it means is that like, maybe I have a good idea here, but thinking that that idea is good in all situations and that all people will be benefited by it is, is not, you know, is something that is just unrealistic. And so there are things that we'll make decisions about, and those things will probably take us very far. But there are things we'll make decisions about. And then it's like, whoops, we got to make a U-turn. That wasn't a good idea. (laughs) You know, it's just like, oops, I just created more work for myself, you know, which I definitely don't need, you know. And so on the whole, yeah, it's like we are figuring it out. And that's one of the things I really, really do value about us is that we, none of us here are ever like, I know exactly what this needs. I know exactly what this needs. I know this and this. It's like, well, I thought that I knew what that is. And now that it's playing out, ooh. Okay, maybe not. I think that my what I'm seeing is this, and I think we begin a lot of our conversations with what I'm seeing is this, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that this we can do this and go here with that. But what do you think? There's always this spirit of collaboration here mm-hmm. that I think is really important, and so I think sometimes the value of Whitney is the fact that we can serve as an example of an organization that does do good work and has the potential to do greater work, but how we function internally can serve as an example to other organizations and allow other organizations for the people within them to say, oh, like you don't have to fear the unknown. You don't have to fear not knowing. You don't have to fear not having all the answers right right away. Your organization, you know, like everything will run still if you allow yourself the humility and the humanity to just say that, hey, we don't have an answer for this. Right. And I really like that about us that, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not looking for answers, guys. It doesn't mean that we're not looking for how to do things better. It just means that on the whole, we're very honest about right what we can and can't do and that's a breath of fresh air i've worked in too many places that just cannot be honest about those things i mean it's it's so well said and so profound and you know we look for answers but i think more importantly is we look for questions yes and that's why we keep you know there we i can't even uh, emphasize how much conversation that we have together as a staff Mm -hmm. and we are constantly you know things come up in the news that day then it, it ends up being a conversation about how does this connect to the history? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the amount of conversations we have, the amount of reading that we do, and the mm-hmm. amount of scholarship that we do, mm-hmm. you know, one week you come in and you have, well, this is the way that before I was, people should be able to take photos on site. You know, that's the way that yeah. they advertise mm-hmm. a site. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of conversations, I read a couple more books. And then, you know, maybe a month later, I'm like, no, I mean, you know, like this, there needs to be, you yeah. know, a stricter policy about this. We yeah. bring our bodies, we bring our emotions into this space. And so we just allow mm-hmm. that to, again, we don't categorize it. We don't contain it. And we understand that we are an organization that with so much of, so, so little education with slavery and interpretation mm-hmm. and the communication, we got to leave space to be adaptable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think my biggest, I shouldn't say my biggest fear, but something that always looms in, in my head is we are on a literal plantation that has this history that informs us about how not to do things. <laughs> Like, it's not, you know, when we're just speaking in our daily lives and we're just like plantation politics. No, there are literal plantation politics here. Yes. Yes. Literal historical references that we can draw for any single situation that we are going through. And these aren't, you know, we're not hyperbolic or just or exaggerating, but this history of labor, this history of power, this history of race, this history of gender that we tell here is also a cautionary tale. (laughs) 
about how not to do things, you know, and yes. I, like and how things, and so for, and so this, and so for us, you know, you mm. just mentioned your journey, which is, you know, at first you were like pictures, this is how they document, this is how people advertise, this is how they share, and this is how they connect. And then reading more as you are here and as time goes on, you're just like, oh, okay, it starts informing back mm-hmm. to it. So it's mm-hmm. like this literal history that's like, okay, that tells you these things and reveals things to you. And you see how maybe in your department, the policies that you have may not be serving this history as well, you know, and it's not that your decision at first was a bad one. It just means that now you're more informed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, there's this constant lesson of the transformational power of this history to show people that there are other ways of doing things. If we say we honor, if we say we care, if we say we care and want to fulfill this mission or, you know, continue to fulfill this mission, you know, there are things that this history reveals to you on basically what is and what isn't a good practice on how to best tell that. And I think that the best way to tell people a history and the things that connect people to history is modeling that in your conduct and behavior and the way that you engage with them, you know, and then like bringing things to light, pulling people along, you know, people not seeing things when they first come here, but very much seeing things a little bit differently when they leave. Mm -hmm. There's a transformational power of knowledge. And, you know, although I would say all of us sitting here, there's a lot of knowledge here. There's a lot of scholarship scholarship, there's a lot of research, and we are still learning more. And the more we learn, the more it changes how we run our department. And I mean, that's another thing of what it's like to be a descendant of this history and run here is that you learn more about it. And you and I think that through learning more, like what emerges for me is like the humanity of myself and everybody around me which makes me really protective then of Whitney too, you know, like, and then there's a bit, cause there becomes more to protect here. Right. It's like now I want to veer off okay. a little bit mm-hmm. and just ask one final question about rest. Oof. How do you do it? How do you rest? <laughs> what is it? What is rest? What are we talking about? Especially in this context mm-hmm. when we're doing, as we've talked about for the last hours mm-hmm. and days and weeks and the years that we've all worked together. And how important self-care and rest is when we work in a very emotionally, physically, because we're a big site walking around in the mm-hmm. heat and mm-hmm. humidity, the rain sleeps and well, thankfully no snow, but we're walking <laughs> in just it. Curse this. <laughs> but we're walking yes. in it, right? Mm-hmm. So Alligator we're dealing with, with gators, mm-hmm. snakes, chickens, <laughs> all of those things. We're dealing with a very emotionally mentally and physically taxing job and so my last question is how do you rest you on joy amber how do y'all take care of yourself so you can make sure that you can come in here every day and do this work that is i think that's a large question and i think especially as black women Mm -hmm. is something that you know we've been speaking about for a while in our ancestors you know this isn't a new conversation we've been having this conversation for (laughs) generations though I'll say from an organizational standpoint and I know that you know on the whole anybody who tries to contact me from outside the organization may get frustrated at what seems like a lack of response it's not a lack of response it's all the things that Amber for example mentioned it's like I'm on a physical site that is an hour away from my home Mm-hmm. You know, so I get in the car every morning and I come out here and then I'm here all day handling administrative things. I'm here all day handling how y'all book your tickets here, mm-hmm. you know, how visitors book their tickets here. You know, it's like, you know how that platform runs. I am on the back ends, you know, doing the programming, you know, to it. If you've called us, you've heard my voice on the voice messaging system. Most things that pop up on the site that, you know, today I was out there finally finishing the stations for our interpreters, you know, that took three, four full days to assemble, you know, assembling stations in the hot sun, putting those things out there, you know, for our interpreters to have a place that, you know, 
is comfortable for them and a place that is recognizable for our visitors to go engage with them. Our staff just started things like gardens that are going on mm-hmm. that takes physical labor. And this is all happening on this former side of labor in the hot sun and under these conditions. And then at the end of the day, I get back in my car and it's an hour home. So on the whole, I how I rest is that I have very, I sort of determine what are the things that are reasonable that need my attention. And right now, you know, so I create these boundaries, these boundaries that are internal boundaries that very firmly are like, hey, did this communication come in? Is it an emergency? It's not an emergency. Is it important? It's important. How important? And I don't let like my phone or the pings of my email determine, you know, my response time to it. Mm -hmm. I try to take a look at things and prioritize what needs my attention right now and what doesn't. And then I turn everything off when I leave. Like around six or seven o'clock, I turn my phone off and I close my computer. Now, if people need to get a hold of me, you everybody knows how to get a hold right, of me, right. right? You know, but on the whole, I do those things and I try to put work completely away and I try to be home and present as much as possible. And so I don't, and the thing is for me, I don't feel guilt for resting and taking that time. There is nothing anybody that can do that can guilt me or make me feel guilty about that time. And I also don't take other people's like disappointments or expectations. I don't internalize those. Mm -hmm. I let them manage their own frustration. So maybe it took me two days to get back to you in an email. Maybe you sent that email on a Friday afternoon and it's Monday at 11 and I get a follow-up email I'm not going to be upset. Like, I'm not going to get in a tizzy because you were upset that I didn't respond on that Friday. You know, I firmly believe that anybody too who we are in relationship with ultimately, you know, will offer grace, you know, especially if it's something that is like that. So on the whole, I just try to, you know, set very reasonable boundaries I understand what the expectations of my job are. Mm-hmm. I understand that responsiveness in cases is very important. I very much understand all of that, you know, but also too, then I get to sort of determine how those things fit into my work week. And, and then some of them, they won't fit into the work week and I'll have to roll it over to the next one, you know, but on the whole, I take my rest very seriously. I sleep well, I get very, like I hydrate well. I make sure that, you know, on the whole, I allow myself like a mental break from my work phone and work computer. And that, that doesn't do everything. I'm not good at PTO historically. I'm not like, I do have that Chicago Midwest work ethic. I'm not good at taking time off, but I've been better at that lately. So, you know, but also too, I, I'm not just saying that as something that I do. I encourage that in all the staff. Mm-hmm. I encourage them to rest. I encourage them to take their PTO. I encourage them to, and also of like, I shouldn't say allowing that. I'm not allowing anything. They're humans. They can do whatever they want, but creating a culture where taking time and resting and taking care of yourself and your families is a priority that also makes it easier for me to rest. Yes. Right. 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 Because it's not something that I'm saying that I can do. And then I'm demanding that and making it so and creating work conditions for a frontline staff that don't mirror that. And I think that when you're, organization on the whole says that, you know, rest and PTO were important, then that means how they communicate with you is going to have a lot of space and grace around it too. So people won't be so, Hey, you sent an email like an hour ago. Why didn't you get to it? It's like, I have my coffee. I'm just trying to <laughs> be here. So it allows for this. It's like, it's modeling this and basically saying what is important. People People's time is important and valuing time. Because again, we're on a plantation where our time was not ours, you know? So it's important for us to take it. And, you know, it's still a practice, but hopefully that answered that for me. (laughs) I um, am not a good person to replicate when it comes to rest. And so just like we were talking about earlier, 
being, you know, a, a descendant, a resident of this community, mm -hmm. and that our drive to New Orleans mm -hmm. every day, you know, I am a minute off of the site. And so I don't have any separation, mm -hmm. you know, from what is going on at Whitney. So if something happens at Whitney, then it's like, I'm going to be the person that takes care of it, right? Or I, I, I feel responsible. I can't not let something, you know, happen at Whitney and me not take care of it. That's yeah. just not going to happen. Just fighting what is going on here. And then, you know, it's really intense. There are, you know, to be transparent, there are, as a community petitions, lawsuits, hearings, and all that's happening. And so everything is just kind of blending into each other. But I, with that being said, I'm realizing that action does not take away anxiety. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get anxious and it's like, if I, I just got to do something, right? And it just is, it's a matter of you trying to control something that you cannot control. And so I'm, I'm getting better at, at at least recognizing that I need rest. I do sleep well. Good. And I do nap well. So a girl can sleep. So I Good. do appreciate, you know, mm -hmm. my puppy jumps in the bed right next to me. And I appreciate those moments of being able to take a nap. But I need to do much better. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So what about you, Amber? Yes, Amber. So Everything that you all said is absolutely correct in every way. You know, what definitely informs me about rest is previous positions, previous jobs where you couldn't rest and feeling and just feeling like, well, you have to keep moving all the time. Something has to be done. We're going from the next project to the next project to the next project and never having time to reflect, never having time to think. And it started affecting me physically mm -hmm. because as we all know, you know, if you don't sit down, your body is going to make you sit down. That's right. It's only been in the last, you know, I want to say like five, four or five years that I've really tried to think more critically about what I do to rest and how I rest and how often I take it. Mm -hmm. And so like now I'm just like, you know what, PTO, it doesn't roll over. You got to use it. And at the end of the day, you have to pour back into yourself mm -hmm. because you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. Because what we do, what we're doing here is although we're doing amazing work, although we're building some amazing departments and an amazing organization and being able to do some really cool things, you still have to take a break yes. and it's still okay to say, you know what? I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I take my, I take, I definitely take vacation. I definitely take it. I am a sick day or an I'm sick of these people day. That was mostly before I came to Whitney, but it's, it's, <laughs> I think of it as, as, the idea of reclaiming your time mm -hmm. you have to reclaim the time because people will continue to take your time and you ultimately won't have anything left for yourself yeah. so amber will take her time she go gets her hair done she gets her nails mm -hmm. done mm -hmm. she goes and plays her video games she goes out to eat mm -hmm. and that's how she goes and and sits and thinks and feels the emotions that she needs to think and feel in order to be able to come here and do the work that needs Absolutely. to be done yeah. on a daily basis because it's gonna have to get done mm -hmm. right but it's gonna be better for me if i'm able to think and if i'm able to be able to to have my mind ready to receive the answers or receive the tasks, the checklist that the ancestral energies of this place are sending to me mm -hmm. so that I can do the work that they're asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And Ashley, I think that leaves us with you. How do you rest? Well, first of all, I love hearing all of your perspectives because um, I really think rest is important. And I know that I have hired a lot of people who aren't always great at doing it because they get so engaged with the work that they're doing that, you know, and, and I do it too. I do take time off. I have a guilt complex about it and I feel like everyone's mad at me, but I do it anyway. You know, we all have this kind of like way of being at work that like, we're like, you've all reflected this, that the thing that we're told over and over again is like, work hard, work hard, work hard and keep going. I also tend to think of my life in terms of like the whole scope of things, right? And at the end of my life, am I going to be sad that I didn't send more emails? Or am I going to be sad that I didn't 
take better care of myself when I needed taking care of. I didn't spend more time with my friends, that I didn't spend more time, you know, doing the things that I love outside of work. And if I kind of make that deal with myself and, you know, realize that I can do this work on my terms, then I, then it really is my choice. If I want to get into my emails at eight o'clock at night, I don't feel like anybody is making me do that. Mm -hmm. This is the moment that I'm going to do that work and it's fine. But I also just think like something that I said in an email to Amber the other day is that something that's happened in the last couple of years, despite all the stress is that people, our staff has gotten more chill. (laughs) Like this place has become a lot more chill through some different operational choices that we've made. And I really have prioritized that. I really think that everybody does better work when they are more whole and complete in themselves. And when they feel, when they feel like they're under less stress. So I also play video games play a lot of video games at home. And I been watching a lot of Ted Lasso, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> you know, and, and take that time that I need uh, that helps me to do better work when I actually am here. Well, I play video games too. Yeah, and for <laughs> any of our listeners, if you're on Xbox Live, my gamer tag is Eve of Destruction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, wow. This has been a a wonderful conversation. Very enlightening. I think that our listeners can see that the many different perspectives of of working here and all of the things that we have to to think about um, interpreting this site. So we knew that this was going to be a conversation that was going to provoke a lot of thought for us. Thank you all though for joining us um, today. And if you want to experience Whitney, visit at WhitneyPlantation.org and find out the information of how you can get to us, what transportation you can use to get here. Um, And also don't forget to follow us on our social media. We're at Whitney Plantation. Thank you. Yvonne, Ashley, thank y'all so much. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Joy. We're Amber and Joy, and this has been an episode of Tilling the Soil, a Whitney Plantation podcast. Want to experience what Whitney Plantation has to offer? Come and visit us at 5099 Highway 18 in Wallace, Louisiana, just outside of New Orleans. You can also connect with us on social media at Whitney Plantation on all platforms. Thanks for listening. Funding for the 2021 Rebirth Grant has been administered by the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities and provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities as part of the American Rescue Plan and the NEH Sustaining the Humanities through the American Rescue Plan Initiative. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities.